Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. The Bible is replete with commentary on the spirituality and character of the men and women within its pages. One example of this would be in the book of Job, where it says of the titular figure that he was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, sometimes these authorial comments can be good, as with Job, and sometimes not so good. If you read the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, there's your homework for today. This sort of commentary is a regular feature. As you're going through the history of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, the text introduces each king telling his name, how old he was when he began to reign, how many years he reigned, and spoiler alert, whether he was good or bad, <laughs> righteous or wicked. So there's not going to be any sort of uh, dramatic tension or anxiety of I think Ahab's going to turn out okay. No, he's not. It's going to tell you from the get-go. And if you happen to be reading through the history of the northern kingdom, uh, which is called Israel after the schism, uh, don't hold your breath trying to find a good king. About the best you'll do is something like what's said of Jehoram. It says this, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. So he was bad, but he was not as bad as two of the most wicked people that ever lived. His parents were Ahab and Jezebel. Scripture's comment on Ahab is this, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So Ahab becomes, in Holy Scripture, Kind of the gold standard for wickedness. The plumb line of unrighteousness. Now, in the southern kingdom of Judah, it's more of a mixed bag. They had some good kings, some great kings, like Josiah, of whom it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Only eight years old when the Lord called him to be king. Before that, Samuel, whom we heard about in our Old Testament lesson, was but a young boy when the Lord called him to be a priest, a prophet, and eventual ruler in Israel. Yes, Samuel was a ruler. He was the last of the judges. And the judges were leaders. They were rulers. They were those who brought salvation in a temporal sense. They brought deliverance. They brought justice. They put things right. So if you read the book of Judges, maybe another homework assignment, and you read of Deborah, who was a female judge, don't think of her as a sort of ancient Judge Judy. Not that kind of judge. 
Samuel's a young boy when he's called, and Samuel ends up being a very important figure in Israel's history. He played a crucial role in the transition from the tribal period of the judges to the establishment of the monarchy. It is Samuel who anointed David king in Bethlehem. Again, he served as a priest, a prophet, and a ruler in Israel. A priest, a prophet, and a ruler. There's someone else in the Bible that fills all those offices. David, yes. David was a prophet, a priest, and a king. Well, how was David a priest? Now, he wasn't an Aaronic or a Levitical priest, but rather a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But I wasn't thinking of him. I was thinking of the one of whom David and also Samuel are types. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Samuel is a type of Christ. And the parallels between Samuel's infancy narrative and that of our Lord, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, are uncanny. Samuel's birth is miraculous, for his mother Hannah had been barren, and the Lord, in response to her fervent prayers, opened up her womb. After Samuel is born, Hannah sings a song, praying, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. Does that sound familiar to you? You can go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and read the whole song. And you'll find that it's basically an early release copy of the Magnificat, the song of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Next, and this is going to bring all our excursions this morning together. Listen to these authorial comments on the young Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. And the child grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. This is amazing. The Gospel of Luke, check this out. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, the Magnificat, Mary's song. And then in Luke 2, after Jesus' birth, he's presented at the temple just as Samuel was presented at the tabernacle, the place of worship after his birth. And then in verses 41 through 52 of Luke, there is the account of the Holy Family making pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. This this is the story where Joseph and Mary lose track of God in the flesh. They lose the Messiah. Where is he at? And they where is he at? And they find him in the temple. Now, verse 42 tells us that Jesus was 12 at the time. In today's Old Testament lesson, we are not told in the text how old Samuel was when God called him to prophetic ministry at the tabernacle. But the first century Jewish historian, Josephus, does. So this is not a Christian historian. 
And I already knew what he was going to say before I even looked it up because the Bible is that amazing. You could just lay the early chapters of, you could lay Luke 1 and 2 over top of uh, 1 Samuel 1 through 3. It's really amazing. He says that he was 12 years old. And finally, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. This is the last chapter of the verse. It says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Almost verbatim of what it says about Samuel. The calling of Samuel, and moreover the childhood of our Lord, have profound implications for us. One of the implications is how we ought to view children, how we ought to understand the ministry of children and ministry to children. Yes, children have a ministry. They have a ministry of prayer and praise and worship to the Lord. This comes to the fore on Palm Sunday. And when Jesus goes into Jerusalem and then at the temple, the children are crying out, Hosanna. And the scribes and the Pharisees, as they're wont, hey, they need to shut up because we're not down with this Jesus guy. And Jesus says to them, he quotes to them Psalm 8. He says, have you never read that out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established, you meaning God have established strength. In other words, God builds his kingdom with children. The life, the incarnation of Jesus, that God became human, that he took up universal human nature. He did that for our, on our behalf. The life of our Lord is vicarious. Thus, to paraphrase St. Irenaeus, Christ lived as a child in order to sanctify childhood and to sanctify children. Thus, there's no question that children and even infants can know God because Jesus Christ lived as one. And we have a responsibility as adults not to impede them, but rather to encourage, teach, and disciple them. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, so woe betide us if we keep them separated and siloed off until they turn 18. Of course, children need instruction and ministry and discipleship that is geared towards their age, but they also need to be in the service. They need to learn to be in the service. And I don't mean by that that they need to learn to sit and be quiet. But that they need to learn to be in church, to participate, to worship the triune God, to be right in the middle of the action where heaven and earth unite, like Samuel. You might say, well, I'm not a child. I'm way past childhood. Or I don't have children. It doesn't matter. For one, because every child that's baptized in the church, capital C, you made a promise that you would help raise them in the faith. Second, 
Are we not commanded by our Lord to become like children? To have faith like a child? To trust God and to believe without good pragmatic reason? Third, that God is at work in a child like Samuel bolsters a more general principle that God is no respecter of age. From the womb to the tomb, God is calling us unto himself. God is at work. And our calling to ministry can happen at any age. Some of us might be Samuels. Some of us might be like Moses. But however or whenever God prods us, leads us, calls us, our response needs to be that which we hear in this morning's Old Testament lesson. Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Amazing, this 12-year-old boy was surrendered. He was all in. These weren't just words. And he proves this because his first prophecy is hardly a cheery one. He does not say, Eli, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. No, as a 12-year-old boy, he has to look at the man who raised him a man whom he presumably loved, because when we read of Samuel's life, he was nothing if not loving and loyal to those in authority over him. He has to look at this very powerful man, the high priest of all Israel, and give him some very bad news. That he had sinned gravely by omission, by not getting his sons in line, and that he was being judged and that he and his descendants were out. He basically had to give his boss a pink slip. Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. No matter what God calls us to, if it's to a deeper faith and obedience, if it's to a particular place or ministry, as Christians, our response is to be immediate and total. In Marian terms, behold the servant of the Lord. But how is it that we hear the voice of God so that we can answer him? How do we hear his voice? By being where he is, by being close to him. 1 Samuel 3, 3, Samuel was lying down, where? In the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Young Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle, which was a mobile temple constructed in the time of Moses. And he was near the ark of God, certainly not in the Holy of Holies, but on the other side of the veil. And the Ark of the Covenant was God's footstool. It was the place where God's presence was manifested. And the place where God's presence is manifested, the place where he dwells, is what we call heaven. That's what heaven is. It's God's dwelling place. 
So we hear God speak by drawing close to him, by bringing ourselves to the intersection of heaven and earth, by being where God is, in our case, namely the church, by opening our ears and listening in the places where God speaks, in the scriptures, in prayer, in fellowship one with another, in worship, in the sacraments. In today's gospel, Jesus calls Philip as a disciple, saying to him, follow me. Philip goes and finds Nathanael and tells him that we have found him of whom Moses wrote and the prophets wrote. As we heard at first, Nathanael is skeptical. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, why does he say this? Because Nazareth was a town despised among the Jews of that period. It was a Roman garrison, think military base, and therefore a reminder to them that they were occupied by Rome and under the thumb of Caesar. It was also what we might call, or people from Virginia might call, Podunk Town. It was small, no more than 500 people. I've read estimates that it it could have been as few as 75 But the author and finisher of our faith, the author of creation, makes this comment about Nathaniel to bring it full circle. Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. If there were a verse or two in scripture that summarized your life, your faith, what do you think the comment would be? That of Eli or Samuel? That of Ahab or Nathaniel? Put in a less extreme way. I don't think we have any Ahabs among us or Jezebels. One who said no to God or one whose habit was to say yes? May it be by the grace of God the latter. May we draw near to the Lord so that we can hear his voice. Drawing near to him in scripture and sacrament. Drawing near to him by drawing near to those who are near to God. You want to get to know the Lord? Be around people who know him. And you will get to know him better. And when God speaks to us, brothers and sisters, in sundry ways, may our surrender be total like that of Samuel. May our obedience be immediate like that of the disciples. May we ever be ready to say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth.